So if, as you're getting your, your Bibles out, it is, it's weird. It's just weird when nobody's clapping and, and celebrating the worship and nobody's uh, celebrating and laughing when I'm funny. And it's, it is hard to do it. But at the same time, I know that you're there and I'm so grateful for the church and I'm so grateful that you're sharing these messages. And then I know somewhere, uh, one of my favorite comments last week was, Joe, we're groaning at your jokes even from home, but please don't stop telling them. So I have to tell you, I got into some secret information. Sometimes things just, they come to me. They just, things come to my desk. And I got a letter that a Marine has written home to her parents, and I think this is really, uh, really fascinating about our great military folks as we're getting close to Memorial Day. Um, the letter says, I'm well. Hope you're well. Tell Brother Walt and Brother Elmer that the Marine Corps beats working for old man Minch by a mile. Tell them to join up quick before all the places are filled. I was restless at first because you get to stay in bed till nearly 6 a.m., but I'm getting used to it, so I like to sleep late. Tell Walt and Elmer that before breakfast, you just need to smooth your bed and make some things shine. No pigs to drag, bad luck feed, porridge to mix, food to wood to split, fire to lay, virtually nothing. Men got to shave, but it's not so bad. There's warm water here. Breakfast is strong on trimmings like fruit juice, cereal, eggs, bacon, but kind of weak on chops and potatoes and ham and eggplant and other uh, regular food. But tell Walt and Elmer you can always sit by the two city boys that live on coffee. Their food plus yours holds you until noon, and then they feed you again. Now, we go on route marches, which the platoon sergeant says are long walks just to hardness. Uh, if I tell you the truth, it's, uh, it's not my place to tell them any different, but a route march is about as far as going to the mailbox is at home. But these city guys get sore feet, and we have to ride back in trucks. The sergeant is like a school teacher. He complains a lot. The captain's like the school board. The majors and the colonels are content to roll around and frown. They don't bother you. The next one will kill you. Walt and Elmer will, will be just dying laughing. I keep getting medals for shooting. I don't know why the bullseye's near as big as a chipmunk's head and it don't move and it ain't shooting it like the Higgett boys at home. All you have to do is lie down comfortably and they even load the cartridges for you. Then we have what they call hand-to-hand -hand combat training. You get to wrestle them big old city boys. I have to be real careful though, they break easy. It ain't like fighting with the old bull at home. I'm about the best there is, except for Tug Jordan. I only beat him once. He joined up the same time I did. I'm 5'6", 130, and he's 6'8", 300 pounds. Tell Walt and Elmer to hurry before this place fills up your loving daughter, Alice. All right, that was a lot of hard work for you to groan at. Listen. I don't know why we're in this situation today. I don't know why we're going through this. I, I can't tell you whether God is trying to get our attention, whether Satan is doing this and God is, is allowing it to happen. I don't know why we're going through this, but I think like Alice, maybe we're stronger than we think we are. Maybe we've been trained for better days. Maybe we as the church of Jesus have been preparing for this, even if we didn't know it. And when the tough times 
showed up, we sort of like started freaking out and bailing instead of digging in tightly, holding on to our faith and saying, you know what? I can do this. I can make this work. I will do what I have to do because I know that I am saved. Now, listen, if you're not saved, if you've not accepted Jesus, that's why I'm here today. If you don't get anything else out of this, somebody needs to accept Jesus as their savior. You need to turn from the life you're living, admit that Jesus is who he said he was, and accept him as your Savior. Tomorrow, 2 o'clock, Andy Romano Park here in, in Ormond. All the parking is going to be open. The city has opened it up. So we're going to have a baptism day at 2 o'clock tomorrow at Andy Romano. Anybody who's ready to accept Jesus, you're ready to be baptized, meet us out there. And we will do the proper things to, to be legal, but we will, we will baptize you. So we're, we're excited about that. But listen, you're tougher than you think you are. We're stronger than we think we are, not because we're strong, but because Jesus is strong. And when you look at church history, you see all throughout church history, 2,000 years of history, the church has been the strongest when it's been hurting the most, when it's been under the most persecution, when the rest of the culture was falling apart, the church might have been struggling, but the church was the, the wings underneath everyone else. And thanks to your faithfulness, we've been able to keep all of our missions going. We've been able to keep feeding people all over the state of Florida. We've been able to send money to Ethiopia to feed people there that all their crops got destroyed by locusts. You guys have been such an encouragement. And in the story of Elijah and Elisha, as we continue on, last week we talked about how he was ready to be taken up into heaven by a whirlwind of fire. Here we go. As they were walking along and talking together, Elijah and Elisha, suddenly a chariot of fire and the horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak or his mantle that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan River. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is now resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. Look, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. And Elisha said, no, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days... But they did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, Didn't I tell you not to go? Wow. So here's the story. Elijah's, Elisha has asked Elijah, if I want that double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, Well, if you're with me, when it happens, you'll receive it. And he's standing there, and all of a sudden, chariots of fire show up. You want to know where that movie came from? The horsemen of God came and took Elijah away. <clears throat> and he immediately cries out. 
He cries out, my father, my father, his spiritual father, the horses and chariots of Israel, the one who has stood for Israel and kept them on line with God, that prophet. And there's a passion in Elisha. The rest of them are panicked and they're looking around. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Elisha knows exactly where he go, where he went. And so do they. They saw it happen, but they still didn't get it. Amazed. Amazed at people that will not dig into the story of the resurrection. Do you know there are two billion people on the earth right now, at least two billion, that know fully the story about the resurrection of Jesus and have accepted Jesus? Two billion people. And anytime Jesus gets a fair hearing, it's amazing how many people are hungry for truth. But you've got to decide who you're going to have your faith in. You're going to trust in yourself. You're going to trust in a doctor. You're going to trust in your money. You're going to trust in the creator of all, the almighty. Now, listen, lest you think I'm putting down science, listen, God created science. And I promise if you watch next week, I'm going to do a science thing, actually an astronomy thing that is going to so mess you up that you're going to, if you're not a believer, you will become a believer through a story that I'm going to tell you next week. But what we're starting about now is passion. The passion of worship that's in Elisha. He cries out, my master, father, father. And then he, and then he goes and he says, if the God of Elijah is with me. And he takes that mantle and he hits the Jericho, hits the Jordan River. It goes right back over into Jericho. Now, remember, we talked about this last week. It's the same spot that Joshua crossed. Elijah opens it up. Elisha now opens it up. It's the place where Jesus is baptized. It all happens at exactly the same spot. For whatever reason, God is up to something really big here. <clears throat> but it's the passion of Elisha that I want you to focus on. Now, if you know about me, you know that I am passionately a Cardinals fan, which makes my life very difficult right now with no baseball. But nobody had to really train me or explain to me. When you grow up in a certain home, whether it's your football team or it's a baseball team or a, a, a band or whatever it is, you grow up in a home where you're constantly seeing it, being exposed to it. The passion is so easily transferred that you really can't miss it. And yet when it comes to our, our faith and our boldness for God and our willingness to sing and to pray, the passion that we ought to have, listen, I understand passion. I understand sinful passion. And that's why... I think I understand what kind of passion we should have when we're worshiping God. Because when you're in the world, nobody has to say, hey, sell out. Hey, let's spend whatever we have to spend for this experience, this sinful experience. Let's pay any price. Let's do anything. Isn't it amazing? And then we become Christians and somehow we're told that I just need to sit here real quiet and still. There's a time for that, but there's a time for passionate worship. There's a time to sing. There's a time to give. There's a time to get up and do something. And that's where Elisha finds himself. It's amazing. And then when Elijah's taken up and he drops his cloak, the mantle, he picks it up. Now this is, I mean, it's a picture of a, of a relay race. That as, as you're going around a four by four on the track and they throw that baton up to you as you're running, now it's up to you to carry the baton. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, 
He said, entrust the gospel to faithful men who will entrust it to faithful men who will entrust it to other faithful men. And here we are 2,000 years later, the baton being slapped into our hand, and now it's up to us to pick up that mantle and run with it. But I'm amazed at how many Christians, how many churches, we get the baton and then I think we buried it. We're not even walking with it. We just bury it and say, yes, we still have the baton. Here in my office uh, at the church building, we, uh, we have these motion sensor lights. They actually drive me crazy. Uh, but they, if you don't move enough in the, in the room, the lights will go off. Well, yes, I'm up and running around, but sometimes I'm sitting down reading. If I don't move enough to make the light sensors happy, the light goes off. Can I tell you that that's a picture of what we're talking about here? When the mantle fell, when Elijah's coat fell, why did God leave that? Everything else went with Elijah, but his coat stayed. It's like Moses' stick, whatever. There's no power in that coat. But Elisha picks up the mantle, realizes it's, it's his turn to represent God. And listen, for whatever reason, we're here in the 21st century. You're not born in the wrong time, the wrong place. You were born right where you were supposed to be doing right where you were supposed to be doing right now. And so you pick up the mantle and you say, okay, God, my turn. It's my turn to teach. It's my turn to pray. It's my turn to lead whatever God has called you to do. But again, it's frustrating because people only want to do the glorious things. And listen, most of Christianity is getting your hands dirty. Most of it's crying with people. Most of it's sweating with people. And yet we've got this idea, well, I've been a faithful Christian. I've been sitting for 80 years. Well, sitting through this pandemic has not been a whole lot of fun, not real pr- productive. The productive time is when you get up and move around. And when you get up and move around, the light starts coming on. When you're out serving and impassioning others. And you think of the story of when Joshua actually took Jericho, they marched around the walls and they shouted. Do you understand the passion that's there? They didn't even know what God was going to do, but the passion was there. And then Joshua has just received the mantle. From whom? From Moses. Moses passes it to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha. Jesus passes the authority to the 12 disciples. If you know anything about church history, there's a guy named Polycarp who takes the mantle from John and he continues to preach the gospel for 90 years. It's an incredible story before he's killed. But the mantle gets passed on and on. So 2,000 years later, the baton's now in our hands. And the question is, what will we do with it? Who will we invite? Listen, you can believe in this multiculturalism. You can believe that the world's going to save you. You can believe that there is no afterlife. But at the end of all of it, there comes the truth that we have to face reality. So the question is, church, I'm talking to the church right now. If you're not saved, meet me at Andy Romano tomorrow. We'll lead you to Jesus. We'll baptize you. But if you are saved and you're the church, then I'm saying tonight, pick up the mantle. Well, what if God doesn't do miracles through me? Oh, he will do miracles through you. He doesn't have to part rivers anymore. It might be sitting with one broken person and helping them through a tough pregnancy. It might be sitting with someone struggling with anxiety. It might be, it might be crying with someone on the phone that's dealing with grief because there's no one there with them right now. 
See, we get caught up. Yes, would I have liked to be able to part rivers? You bet I would. Would I like to bring people back from the dead? Yeah, but that's not my job. My job is to connect people to the one who does do all of those things and has a plan for us after this life. But here's the fascinating part of the whole story. Is Elijah gets frustrated. Elisha, sorry. Uh, Elisha gets frustrated because the 50 other prophets that were watching want to send out a posse to go find him. Oh, God must have put him somewhere else. Elisha said, no, don't bother. Don't you? They even admitted, we saw the spirit being transferred to you. But nonetheless, because of embarrassment, he lets him go look. Three days, don't miss that. Three days, same as Jesus is in the grave. <clears throat> they go look. No, Elijah. Elisha says, why are you guys standing there gawking up into heaven? Why do you just stand there and look? Same story plays out in Acts chapter 1 verse 11 when Jesus is taken up to heaven. He spent three years teaching these guys. And then after his resurrection, he spent 40 days training them, explaining again all the prophecies that have been fulfilled. And then when he's taken up to heaven, he's left them with the commission, go, make disciples, teach, train, feed, do all these things. <clears throat> and they stand there and they gawk. Let me tell you a story about a Russian swimmer. He was an Olympic swimmer. Here's this picture. Uh, Korapajan, and uh, you can look up the story. That's why I had it printed down there at the bottom, because I want you to look up the story. So he, he and his brother are Olympic swimmers. And one day, uh, he was walking down the street, and a trolley bus crashes into a lake. Without any hesitation, this Olympic swimmer dives into the water. He spent the next hour diving repeatedly down to a depth of 30 or 40 feet. He had to kick the windows out of the bus because all the people would have died. He dives, I think, 40 times he goes down and he comes up with 25 people that he saved, about one every 45 seconds or something like that. It's an incredible story. But the last time up, he's totally exhausted diving up and down, up and down. And the last time up, he comes up with a a cushion instead of a person. And he says, for years that haunted him, that last dive, because he's, he was so weary and so tired. He said, I grabbed a cushion. I could have saved just one more. Listen, I don't know why we're still here and other people aren't right now, but God has left us here. He has given us the mantle. And he said, Quit gawking. We've got things to do. In Isaiah 6, 8, God says to Isaiah, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Well, how long should I go? And God says, until there's not a house left to go to, until there's no, no one left alive, there's nobody left to listen, you just keep telling them the good news. Tell them there's a God that loves them. Tell them about the hope that's ours because of the Messiah. And now we look back at that story. And I'm, I'm humbled and blown away at some of the crazy things we see. I'm driving down the road. This is a true story. I'm driving down the road. And I drive by a gas station, you know, got the big tanker truck, and they're filling up the, the huge tank that's underground. And as I'm driving by, there's two people standing right beside the hose smoking. Now, I'm not real smart, 
But I said to myself, that cannot be good. I'm just literally picturing the entire block blowing up. It's a risk. You know what? Heaven and hell, it's a risk. Are you willing? Are you willing to take that risk? Apparently, those two people were willing to take the risk of blowing themselves up and a whole lot of other people. And I'm amazed how many people are willing to stand on the brink of eternity and say, I know there's got to be something else. And I'm telling you, there is something else. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And you get to choose. And you can stand there and smoke by the gas station. Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to take action. I'm going to accept Jesus now. No more gawking. No more standing around. I'm actually going to take action. I'm going to accept Jesus. I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Church, we're far more equipped than we ever thought. See, when Alice was in Marines, she simply thought she was just another farm girl. But when she got there, she realized there was a whole lot more in her than she knew was possible. That is true of the church today. Because we have the Spirit of God in us. Because we have the Word of God working on our behalf. Whatever decision you need to make, I pray that this would be the day you would make it. Let's pray together. Father, I, I pray that we would be the one who would be willing to keep diving for the one. We would be willing to go to any length to rescue that, that one. I pray for the pastors around the country and around the world right now. They're all in the same boat, trying to figure out when to open. They're trying to figure out how to keep people fed, how to take care of their, their flock. Father, we pray for wisdom. And we pray to the Almighty God who is above all, through all, and in all. In whose name we do pray. Amen.